Welcome back, everyone, to Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. This is Steve Larchuk, 35 years in health law and a health law advocate for about half that time. Many thanks to our national sponsors, or sponsor, Pair Networks, world-class web hosting and domain name registration. Learn more about them by going to Pair.com. That's P-A-I-R.com. This program is devoted to the one issue which impacts every American, health care. It is all substance, all the time, no talking heads, no sound bites. It, it includes healthcare news, commentary, and extended interviews with experts from around the United States who have something important to add to the debate on healthcare policy. Our guest later this show will be Beth Matty, who is the president of the National Association of School Nurses. But first, the news, and boy, is there news. Last Thursday, May 4th, by the slimmest possible majority, the Republicans in the House of Representatives actually passed a bill to reduce taxes on the wealthiest Americans. And they promptly went to the White House to celebrate. Uh, the story is that they had beer, and there's some debate over which brand. But that's, that's neither here nor there, because the important thing is they pay for this $622 billion tax cut for the rich by gutting the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. And they did this without a single public hearing. How's that for efficiency? Who needs a public hearing? Who needs to hear the other side? So they had no public hearings whatsoever, despite their plan to disrupt about 20% of the economy. They did it without a final analysis by the Congressional Budget Office. They did it against the wishes of nearly every major healthcare and consumer protection organization. Uh, for example, the AARP, the American Medical Association, Families USA, American Nurses Association, American Hospital Association, Academy of Pediatrics, Osteopathic Association, Psychiatric Association, Academy of Family Physicians, the American Lung Association, and on and on and on. And despite the opposition of key Republican governors, for example, uh, John Kasich of Ohio, uh, the state which says it's at the heart of it all, he thinks this is not such a great idea, and he's been saying so for months and months and months. Uh, the Republicans also ignored the fact that most Americans do not want the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act repealed at all, but rather they favor making some changes to fix the problems. And the, these Republicans who passed this latest bill apparently don't care that their bill had a laughable 17% public approval rating. I honestly can't think of a single bill in my lifetime of paying attention to such things that was even voted on when the polls indicated that there was only a 17% approval. But they went ahead and made it even worse and didn't even wait for the Congressional Budget Office to update the projections because that would just have made it worse. They sent over the weekend uh, Tom Price, the Secretary of the Hu Health and Human Services, and Speaker Paul Ryan on the Sunday shows, who every time they were asked about the tax cut did a pivot that would have made a ballerina from the Bolshoi, uh, Bolshoi Ballet jealous because nobody could pivot the way these guys could away from the central theme, which is let's cut taxes on the wealthy and use the savings to cut services to the poor. So that is what uh, they've been doing. And uh, meanwhile, 
the Democrats have been sitting on their hands. And what, I, what do I mean when I say sitting on their hands? Uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, the senator from Vermont, who is the most popular politician in office today, uh, made it very clear that he is, by now, he would have offered a Medicare for all bill. But what it seems to be happening is that the Democrats think if they just let the Republicans twist in the wind long enough, they'll just continue to choke themselves. What they're missing is the high likelihood that the Republicans will figure out what they're doing and be able to ram their agenda down our throats. So that's the news. We're going to come back with a lot more on this uh, travesty. But let's take a short break. This is Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. What if ownership of the social media website Twitter was turned over to its users? That question isn't just hypothetical anymore. Shareholders at this year's annual meeting will vote whether to commission a study on what cooperative ownership would look like for the technology company. Nathan Schneider, a media studies scholar in residence at the University of Colorado Boulder, proposed the idea in The Guardian last fall after rumors swirled that Twitter was up for sale. Schneider says he's been involved for a few years now in a movement called Platform Cooperatism. An effort to bring the cooperative business model into the online economy as a way of dealing with some of the abuses in terms of labor and surveillance and this sort of thing. And it just seemed like Twitter was an interesting case for that. The vote on whether to commission the study on a Twitter co-op will come sometime before May 22nd. Schneider notes that the proposal isn't likely to pass, but says the goal is simply to keep the conversation going. For Washington News Service, I'm Eric Tegedov. Welcome, everybody, with a pulse to healthcare politics with Steve Larchuk. And I say welcome if you have a pulse, because sooner or later... Your life is going to be all about health care if it isn't already, if you don't have an elderly parent or relative, if you don't have a child who's in need of health care, if you yourself uh, are not in need of health care, it's just a matter of time. Enjoy your good health because your turn is coming. And so we all have a stake in getting this right. Now, our guest today later in the show will be Beth Matty. She's the president of the National Association of School Nurses. And this is a, an interview we have wanted to do since we first conceived of the show because school nurses are an underappreciated yet critically important part of our health care strategy. And if the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act is really repealed, then school nurses will be about the only health care available to a lot of our kids. So we need to take it seriously. And our timing is perfect because May 10th is National School Nurse Day. So stay tuned for that terrific interview. Uh, but before we get to that, let's take another look at this uh, Republican care proposal. I'm not going to call it Trump care because it was a team effort. All of the Republicans, save a handful, uh, voted for this thing. And it is not only terrible, it's worse than the thing that only had a 17% approval rating when they did it uh, 2.0. Now we have 3.0, and they made it worse. Let's start with a simple question. What did Americans who voted for Donald Trump expect when they voted for him? And as you may have heard when we did our show last week, we actually went up to the Harrisburg uh, rally, the 100-day rally, and we took uh, interviews of people as they stood in line waiting in the hot sun to go in and see Donald Trump. Now, we played a bunch of those last week, but let's play one of them again 
just so you can be reminded what people who are passionate about this president were expecting. Sir, I need to know your name first. Tom Delacqua. Where are you from, Tom? Uh, Bristol, PA. And you voted for the president, I assume? I did. Now, what were you hoping he would accomplish with regard to health care? Well, what I'm hoping for is more affordable premiums, better quality care. Um, that's pretty much what I'm concerned about. I think the cost of insurance is through the roof. I think the insurance companies are still making money hand over fist. Um, I think we need to rein in the cost of the insurance, get prescription drug costs down, and make it more affordable for people. Get rid of these outrageously high deductibles. So how do you think it's going so far? Well, I think uh, he's fighting a hard battle. I think if Congress actually does what they're supposed to do, um, he can make it happen. But it's, they got to work together. You know, the fighting amongst the Democrats and the Republicans is not going to solve the problem, you know. How do you feel about drug prices and the need to get the drug companies to start controlling those costs? Well, look, I understand that drug companies spend tons of money on trials and getting their drugs to market. Um, but I think that they could afford to lower their margins a little bit and make it a little more affordable for people. All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time. Have a sure. good time today. So you be the judge. Did Tom, did Tom get what he was expecting? Now, remember, maybe you saw it. The, the president went out in the Rose Garden and all these Republicans who voted for this repeal and replace, so-called repeal and replace plan, bust up to the White House and they all gathered around and boy, they were just giddy, just giddy. Uh, they really were proud of themselves. But did they give Tom Bevilacqua, the man who was waiting in line in the hot sun to see the president, what he was expecting? And of course, the answer is no. We interviewed 26 people that day standing in that line, and not one of them were asking for a tax cut for the wealthy. Not one. Now, how is that possible? Because the president said this was a great health care bill, yet none of those people who went, who went to his 100-day rally wanted to cut taxes. They wanted something else. They wanted what Tom told us they wanted, which was lower health care prices, lower deductibles, cut the drug prices. That's what they were after. Not one of those people standing in line said, you know, we should really trust the insurance companies to, to decide what's best for us. They should decide what's covered and what's not because they're so trustworthy. I asked 26 people for their thoughts on health care. 26 died-in-the-wool Trump supporters, and, you know, not one of them, not one of them said they trusted insurance companies. They sure as heck didn't trust the government either, but they didn't seem to trust the insurance companies either. Everyone agreed that drug companies— should be forced to stop charging Americans more for medications than they charge in other countries. Is there even one word in this new bill that talks about drug prices? No, not a word, not a word. Look, the president ran for president because he said he was a master deal maker. So here's the deal. Here's his deal for America. He is offering the following. He's going to eliminate the taxes on the wealthy in, in some of the businesses that were taxed that raised the money, the $600 billion plus, which was being used to pay for the Affordable Care Act. 
he's going to just eliminate that. That's part of his deal. But don't worry about it because he is also going to repeal all of those rules that forced insurance companies to actually cover people when they sell them an insurance policy because that's just too burdensome on an insurance company. You can't look, hey, come on, folks. You can't expect an insurance company to collect all this premium money and then actually cover your health care needs. What are you kidding? Well, this is crazy talk. So the president's going to save us from that. And, you know, don't worry because uh, this deal will make sure that the insurance companies will, will lower their costs just because they're nice guys. They'll voluntarily lower those costs. They'll voluntarily uh, reduce the deductibles. Of course, the president, none of the Republicans, Paul Ryan, Tom Price, none of these talking heads from the Republican side ever stop to say exactly how that's going to happen. And they, of course, don't want you to remember. They assume your memory is like 30 seconds long. They don't want you to remember that back in 2008, 2007, when the entire insurance industry was really collapsing, when it really was a disaster, these insurance companies had all that freedom. And what, how did they use that freedom? They used it to raise premiums. They used it to raise deductibles. They used it to reduce what was covered in those policies. They used their power, their freedom, to cut people off of insurance when they actually got sick. Do you remember that? If, if the insurance company started to see bills from your doctors for, say, chemotherapy for cancer, they'd just cut you off because, boy, you were going to be expensive. And you know, what sense would that make? They could just cut you off. And there was, there's not a rule against it. As a matter of fact, it was perfectly legal until the Affordable Care Act passed. But if, the, if uh, Mr. Trump and his friends have their way, it will be legal again. And they'll say, well, insurance companies will be able to lower their premiums if they don't actually have to pay claims. And I, you know what? They're right. I could really, I could sell you a policy for about 50 bucks a month if I never have to pay a claim. That'd be great. You, you, you'd be able to go to sleep thinking you had insurance, and I'd be able to spend your 50 bucks because I would know I'd never have to pay any of it out. So that is, uh, you know, part of the deal. So let's just, before we have to break here, I just want to remind folks that over the weekend, there only one Republican of note actually uh, bothered to have a town meeting. And uh, he was asked about the carnage, the harm it does to people when they don't have access to insurance. And he, he just got ballistic on this voter and said, it's not true that people die when they don't have health insurance. Well, he, took, he walked that one back because, of course, they do. And it's not just the dying. It's the filing for bankruptcy. It's the loss of homes to pay health care bills. It's, it's the pain and suffering that goes along with having a disease that can't be cured. This is the same uh, congressman, by the way, is, is a denier of uh, climate change. Does that surprise you? Does that surprise you at all? Look, we're going to be coming back after a break. We're going to be talking about this every week, this health care debate. But today we're going to talk about something that's sort of a hidden gem in our health care system, and that's school nurses. So come on back on the other side of the break. This is Steve Larchuk, Healthcare Politics. From infant mortality to our lifespan. It may be hard to believe, but people just like you are already saving money. Feedthepig.org makes it easy. 
Their simple savings plan teaches you how to start saving without going overboard. So you don't need to sell all your belongings and live in a commune. These dungarees belong to all of us now, Tom. You don't need to get a second job as a stuntman. We need a new stuntman! You just need FeedThePig.org. Don't get left behind. Get tips and tools at FeedThePig.org. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. When is the best time to talk to your family about staying in touch during a disaster? When floodwaters reach your door? When wildfires are engulfing the edge of your neighborhood? Or an earthquake is destroying buildings? Or is the best time, perhaps, today? During a disaster, you may not be able to stay in touch with your family or friends as easily as you think. Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. It's me, your heart. High blood pressure is serious. And if you think I'm just going to keep ticking away, you're wrong. I can quit whenever I want, but I like my job. Just treat me better. Maybe we can do some exercise on occasion. After all, we're in this together. Don't let your heart quit on you. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get yours to a healthy range before it's too late. Find out how at heart.org slash blood pressure. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. We are the BCTGM, the union representing bakery workers. We have been joining forces with our members and thousands of community partners across America to end corporate exploitation of workers across the globe. Our campaign has its roots with the Mondelez Nabisco's firing of 600 workers at its Chicago bakery and replacing them with workers earning poverty wages in Mexico. College and university student activists have reached out to our global campaign, and the BCTGM is proud to welcome the more than 20 million students across America as partners in defeating this greed-based business model. Student voices have changed the world, and these future community and national leaders will add energy and heightened spirit to the BCTGM's consumer boycott of Mexican-made Nabisco products. Join the fight. Help change the world. Invite the Nabisco 600 team to your campus by visiting fightforamericanjobs.org. Follow us on Facebook at Nabisco 600 BCTGM Local 300. It was 1973. Helen Reddy's song, I Am Woman, was at the top of the charts. The feminist movement was in full swing. A group of Boston women office workers started talking about how they were treated at work, how men made more money for the same jobs, how they couldn't take time off to care for their kids without putting their jobs at risk. They were feisty, empowered, and fed up. They founded 9to5, a membership organization of women working in low-wage jobs, inspiring a national hit song and movie. Whether it's fighting for better leave policies, for equal pay for equal work, to ban the box or strengthen the safety net, 9to5 is on the front lines of putting our issues on the public agenda, and they're winning big. Find out more about how they're raising the bar at www.9to5.org. That's the number 9-T-O-number-5.org. So, who's going to do what? Flashlights? Nowhere to be found. Emergency supply kits? Not packed. What about blankets? We have an old towel. Cell phones? May not work. Emergency water? Not a drop. Perfect. We all know where we're meeting if we're separated. The library. On Jones House. The bus stop. And I'll be waiting here wondering where you all are. Great. It sounds like we don't have a plan. Winging it is not an emergency plan. Make sure your kids know what to do during an emergency. Who to call, where to meet, what to pack. Visit ready.gov kids for tips and information. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. And we are back with Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. Welcome to the show. And 
I can say that uh, before we started this program, we made a list of the various topics that we wanted to cover. And on that list was school nurses. I thought it was um, critically important that we cover that topic. And here it is, week 13, we finally got around to it. You know, the, uh, people say that all politics is local, and it's hard to get any more local in healthcare politics than your own body. And so it's important for each of us, if we, if we want to be advocates for health, to make sure we're not part of the problem, if we possibly can do that. But the second line of defense, and it really is for our kids' benefit when they're out of our sight, we're all at work, we send our kids and grandkids to school, it's in the hands of the school nurses. And there, it's really all about wellness and health, but, but there's so much more to it. So I wanted to get someone who really knows their stuff when it comes to school nursing, because it's not what so many people think it is. It's not just somebody in a tiny office somewhere with a box of Band-Aids. It's so much more than that. And so it's with great pleasure that I welcome to the show Beth Matti, who is the president of the National Association of School Nurses. And she lives in Delaware and is currently the lead school nurse in the Brandywine School District. Brandywine is a beautiful part of the country, very historic, somewhere near Philadelphia, but out in the country. Uh, she works or has worked with elementary and high school students, so you can imagine the wide range of pro uh, problems she sees and, and uh, kids. She has been a nationally board-certified school nurse since 1990, and she's an instructor at the University of Delaware. She's graduated the University of Delaware with a Bachelor of Science and a Master of Science in Nursing. She's an author. She authored a chapter in the award-winning textbook, Seligman's School Nursing, a Comprehensive Text, and she has also written several articles for professional publications. One thing that she's written that we will talk about a little later is actually uh, a president's letter from her to her members called Dream Big, and we're going to devote the whole second segment of this interview to that. Uh, I could go on and on. Suffice to say that her credentials are tremendously impressive. So, Beth, welcome to Healthcare Politics, and it's a, a treat to have you on the show, so thank you. Well, thank you, Stephen. I really uh, appreciate being here, and I'm very excited to be able to talk about school nursing. I have to tell you, it's my favorite subject. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Well, I'm an old-timer, and I was only half joking when I said in, in the eyes of a lot of old-timers like me, the school nurse back in the 50s and 60s really was perceived as as the woman who had the box of band-aids and not much else what tell me what what is school nursing these days what is it to be a a modern school nurse well I, 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 thank you for asking the question and i i do appreciate you being asking me on because we do need to share what is happening in the 21st century with school nursing and let others know the broad scope of practice that we have. You know, it's interesting to me that you that, that one of the things that you wanted to do was have uh, to talk about school nursing on your show because a lot of times, you know, we have been considered as providing a hidden health care. And those of us that needed school nurses know what school nurses do. But you say, you know, you remember the school nurse in the small cubicle with the box of Band-Aids. Unfortunately, 
people still think of school nurses that way. But there are over um, new new data that we just received. There are over 95,000 full-time school nurses in the United States, full-time equivalent school nurses in the United States, providing care to over 50 million children. So it is a it's a big job and it's a complex job. Well, let's let's just tick through some issues that you face as a school nurse. And at the top of everybody's list is the opioid epidemic. How how are school nurses involved in in trying to identify the kids that are affected and and what can be done about it? Well, and that's one of the the roles that school nurses have, risk prevention. We we want to identify children that are at risk, that are exhibiting, children and teens, preteens and teens, that are exhibiting risk behavior and give them the support, the help that they need, direct, direct them in the direction that they need to go so that they don't um, advance into further drug use. You know, one of the problems with the opioid epidemic is that when, um, an, say, for example, an athlete gets hurt and has knee surgery, then they're given pain medication. Pain medication is an opioid. Well, heroin is an opioid. So if, if they are giving pain medication and they like the way it makes them feel, then they're going to want more. And you don't go into it saying, I'm going to take heroin. I mean, that's not how that happens with the opioid epidemic. You know, they they perhaps experiment, but a lot of times they've had pain medication for an injury that they've had or for surgery or something like that, and it makes them feel good, so they want more. And the more they take, the more they need to get that feeling, that feeling good feeling. Well, then... You and and when we're talking about pain medication, we're talking about the the common, um, not, not common, but the the pain medication that's prescribed by the physician. Mm-hmm. And then once that runs out and you can't buy that on the street anymore because it's too expensive, fifty dollars a pill, then the cheaper alternative is heroin, and that's where we are getting into trouble. So we try to really educate our students make sure that they understand proper use of medication. We have a program that we've partnered with. um, uh, The National Association presents. It's the Smart Moves, Smart Choices, and it even starts with education at the young ages about the proper use of medication and the importance of following the directions and how it's given. So there's a lot that we're doing. Well, I'm wondering if there's a difference between schools, in other words, if you have a, a rural school, sort of a farm area school, that's going to be different than a suburban school, or at least the kids are going to be different, and that's going to be different from an urban school. Do the school nurses really have to to modify the way they approach their job based on the nature of the kids they're dealing with? That's an interesting question. You know, kids are kids are kids, <laughs> and no matter where you are, the kids are the same in Europe, and you know they have the the same needs, the same uh, desires, and that you know they develop in the same generally across the the, the normal developmental uh, levels, and so kids are kids. But the different rural the areas, you know, d- their demographics, whether they're in a rural setting, whether they, and I guess what you're really talking about are the. Um, part of the social determinants of health, what that's what we call. So 
you know, are kids living in poverty? Do they have enough food? Do they have access to health care? You know, what, what is it that the children in that community where the school nurse is serving need? Is the closest hospital three hours away? How fast does EMS respond, you know, when you have an emergency? What's available to you to keep you healthy? And that's where we, you know, um, kind of change our we we work towards the needs in our community well if we if we have what looks like we may have happen in this country where we retreat from the affordable care act and the medicaid expansion if in fact uh, the president and the uh, people controlling congress start to move us away from this attitude that it's a shared responsibility I'm wondering if, if you're going to find that the school nurse becomes almost the primary care provider for these kids because they just their parents can't afford to take them to see the pediatrician. Right. And, you know, in, in the country we have seen unprecedented coverage for children. We have all the, only 5% of the children in the United States are not covered by health insurance. That is, that's remarkable. And what that does, it is allows children to, to have the preventive care that they need. You know, children with asthma or, um, that, that need the medication to keep them from having an asthma attack. You know, Beth, I got you into that topic, and now I have to ask you to just hold for a minute. We're going to take a break. Okay. And when we come back, we'll pick up where we left off on that very topic. So just stand okay. by, and everyone, this is Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. You're listening to Win Workers Independent News, a Diversified Media Enterprises production. For Win, I'm Joanne Powers. The nation's largest nurses union has condemned the passage of the American Health Care Act by House Republicans as cruel and unusual punishment for millions of Americans. Following the vote, National Nurses United issued a statement saying the bill to overturn the Affordable Care Act, popularly known as Obamacare, would deprive tens of millions of Americans of their health care coverage and threaten millions more with bankruptcy. NNU spokesperson Charles Idelson. Well, I would call it a train wreck, except a train wreck is more humane than the monstrosity that got passed by the fanatics in the House. One thing that gets understated in the coverage is that it was essentially a cover for a massive hundreds of billions of dollar giveaway to the wealthiest people in the United States, anywhere from 600 to $800 billion in tax cuts jammed into that bill, something like 80% of which go to the top 1% in this country. They decide to pass a tax cut and cover it by passing this incredibly punitive law that will, at a minimum, take away existing health coverage for up to 24 million people and also impose extremely punitive increases in out-of-pocket costs for people with pre-existing conditions. It's really a disgrace and out of touch with the entire rest of the world. The union's many criticisms of the AHCA include the right of insurance companies to deny coverage to people with pre-existing conditions and the recreation of high-risk pools for for these patients. Robert Craig of Citizen Action of Wisconsin says his own state's history with high-risk pools is representative of those across the nation. It was very expensive. Quite frankly, it was underfunded. Minnesota and Wisconsin had larger pools, and they were still entirely inadequate. So it's a way of saying that people have somewhere to go, but premiums would be, according to most experts, $10,000 a year on average for high-risk pools, even if they did fund them at a much higher level than they actually put in the bill. High-risk pools across the country had waiting lists, lifetime limits on coverage. 
Labor unions in Brazil have promised that the general strike that mobilized 35 million workers and paralyzed much of the country at the end of April was just the beginning of their fight against anti-worker reforms promoted by the government of wildly unpopular President Michel Temer. The unions are planning actions this week in all 27 of Brazil's states and will march on the nation's capital next week to put pressure on politicians. The proposed austerity measures include weakening labor protections, raising the retirement age, and a 20-year freeze on public spending. Brought to you by the IBEW, 725,000 men and women powering the way for an American comeback. Information on how to become an International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers Power Professional is online at IBEW.org. Brought to you by UnionJobs.com, posting jobs for unions, socially allied, and community organizations since 1997. You've been listening to WIN, Workers' Independent News. For more information, visit LaborRadio.org. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me, but I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Today, we decided to walk to school. The light counted. 15, 14. 31? I mean, 13? We took a left on Carroll Street. Danny's smart, but he gets distracted. He realized he forgot his homework. I hope he doesn't have another bad day at school. When you can see learning and attention issues from their side, you can be on their side. That's why there's understood.org, a free resource for the parents of the one in five kids with learning and attention issues. Go from misunderstanding to understood.org. Brought to you by Understood and the Ad Council. And this is Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk, and we rejoin our conversation with the president of the National Association of School Nurses, Beth Matty. And we are covering a lot of topics. We've been talking about uh, opioids and the kids and how school nurses are involved with that. We started talking about uh, cultural issues and the difference between rural schools and urban schools. And it's, it's just amazing how uh, school nurses have to adapt to the particular challenge. But one of the challenges that's also very politically relevant is immigration. It seems to me that you're getting a lot of children brought into the United States who do not speak English as their principal language. And they also come from other cultures. Uh, is that a challenge for school nurses? How do, they, how do they wear all those hats? How do they become expert in all those different languages and cultures? Well, uh, as, as you can imagine, we don't be, become experts in the language, so we look for help. We look for assistance and translators within the school setting that can help us talk to parents. And it's not enough. The children that are in the schools, you know, they are immersion. They're immersed into the English language, and they learn pretty quickly. And, you know, the the... You may think that we'd want to rely on the children to translate back and forth with the parents, but really that's that's not a good way to do that, and we, do, we try not to do that. We really need a translator to work with the parents. But, you know, what's the cultural view of health? And maybe they're not getting their child glasses because in their culture they don't think that they need the glasses. Maybe they, they can go for a while without getting the glasses. So the cultural um, diversity in our schools today really is very, it can be challenging because we have to really work with families and, and understand what are their health beliefs and how can we help them 
maximize the, the health and learning of their children. My daughter is a school teacher. She teaches seventh grade English in an urban school. And she told me that with the new administration, that a lot of her children who are the either not documented or the children of undocumented parents are suffering from a lot of stress because they literally don't know if when they go home after school whether their parents will be there. Are you encountering anything like that? Yes, we are seeing that in the schools that the you know the parents are unsettled and the kids are unsettled and we really are having to you know work with children. The other thing that we're seeing is the bullying um, in the school setting and oftentimes the nurse is the first one to recognize that because a child may be being bullied and they exhibit symptoms like a stomach ache or a headache or avoidance. So you know they avoid it by coming to the school nurse. So we really need to to make sure that we're our antennas up and that we're paying attention to these children and, and supporting them as best we can in the school setting. One of the things that I've noticed is that as school boards become financially stressed and we're, we're getting back into a cycle of uh, underachieving uh, revenue collections for taxes, and what they used to do or did just in the last 10 years is begin to cut back on things like uh, the arts, uh, music, uh, things like that. And I've read that they're also cutting back on school nurses, maybe getting a school nurse to cover two or three different schools simultaneously. Do you see that happening? Well, it's different across the country. And I wouldn't say they're cutting back. We have more school nurses now than we did 10 years ago. So we do have the school nurses but you're right that you know, most of the school nurses are funding through education budgets, and when funding gets tight, um, it may be school nursing that gets cut. Of course, we know that health and education are linked, and children have to be healthy in order to learn. If you've got a toothache, you can't. If you've ever had a toothache, you know how painful it is and how uncomfortable, and can you really concentrate and do the complex math problems that are expected of you? So, you know, there's multiple reasons that health is so important in the school setting and we really advocate for a school nurse in every school now you mentioned the funding and what's happening is that that we're forming partnerships in communities that the communities are coming together and forming partnerships to support the services of school nurses there's one program in Toledo. Um, the superintendent is very strong about forming partnerships, and the hospital, Prometica in Toledo, funded enough school nurses to bring their full, to, so that all schools in the Toledo public schools have a school nurse. So partnerships are really key in this in this time of economic uncertainty. Well, it would be. I, I, I hear what you're saying, and I guess that's good. I I don't think we can have school nursing through bake sales or by going to oh, no. <laughs> commercial uh, entities and begging for voluntary dollars because that lasts only as long as the grant lasts. You can be out there with your tin cup every year trying to fund your nurses. But I wanted to move on to, uh, to an article that you wrote for your mm -hmm. fellow members that you entitled Dream Big. Mm -hmm. So let's dream big. If money were not an object, what would school nursing look like? Well, we strive to make school nursing look like that anyway. Um, that, you know, of course, most nurses provide the direct 
an indirect care for students for illnesses or injuries. But you know, like you say, dream big. What could we what could we do? And we have all the children. All the children go to school. We we can create and and school nurses do this. I've always said this. Create a culture of health in the school community. Help them understand what it is to have a nutritious diet, to to be healthy, to exercise, to um to get the preventive care that you need throughout the lifespan. You know, have that expectation so that as these children, you know, go on, not only will it help them in their education and graduate, and we know that the more education, the better health outcomes for people. So not only will it help as they grow and as in their lifetime, it will help the community as well. Well, one thing for sure, one thing's for sure. In school, you may learn algebra or calculus or something, and maybe you use it, maybe you don't. But you're, whatever you learn about health and wellness and uh, nutrition and first aid, all those things, you're going to use every day of your life. Yes, you're absolutely right. And, you know, that's, that's what school nurses do, um, one-on-one teaching as well. And someone commented to me the other day, you know, if we're teaching children how to properly use their medication or how to properly use their asthma inhaler, they'll always remember that. That will always be there with them. So, yes, you know, and, and the immunizations, do you have all the preventive immunizations that you need? All of those things remain with you. So absolutely, okay. so important. Well, we're going to take another break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, some more ambitious things. We're going to talk a little bit about vision, and I'm going to ask you where people can go to learn more. So let's take a break, and we'll be right back. This is Steve Larchuk, Healthcare Politics. U.S. Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. You're bringing your daughter to her favorite pop star's concert. Do you A, wear earplugs? Isn't this fun, Dad? I have a soft pretzel. B, remember the moment with matching concert t-shirts. That's going to be 180 bucks. Or we can just take a photo. C, show her how you used to do concerts. We're going crowd surfing. I can't. It's too heavy. Oh, my God. Or D, just roll with it. Woo! Justin! Look at us, we're over here! Justin! Justin! OMG! He just looked... I love you, Justin! I love you! When it comes to parenting, there are no perfect answers. But that's okay, because you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit adoptuskids.org slash AL. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. Hi, I found a toy dinosaur over on the playground by Smith Street. It had this phone number on it, and, well, I just wanted to make sure the dinosaur made it back to its little owner. When I found the little sippy cup, I just had to give you a call. It's for a kid, you know? I know my son gets super attached to the smallest things, even a fire truck, and I'd be happy to drop it off. We'd do anything for kids, yet one in six children in the U.S. struggle with hunger. Help end childhood hunger. Contact Food Bank of West Central Texas. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Imagine if I told you that an earthquake was going to hit tomorrow right where you live. That it would be 6.5 in magnitude with aftershocks occurring twice 25 minutes apart. You'd no doubt talk with your loved ones and you'd make a plan today. It's true, I can't tell you an earthquake will happen tomorrow. But what if it does? Shouldn't you have a plan? 
Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me, but I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Today we decided to walk to school. The light counted. 15, 14. 31? I mean 13? We took a left on Carroll Street. Danny's smart, but he gets distracted. He realized he forgot his homework. I hope he doesn't have another bad day at school. When you can see learning and attention issues from their side, you can be on their side. That's why there's understood.org, a free resource for the parents of the one in five kids with learning and attention issues. Go from misunderstanding to understood.org. Brought to you by Understood and the Ad Council. When it comes to saving money, don't act like a baby. Goo goo gaga. Be the boss and make a budget. I'm the boss, baby. You're the boss of me. I am the boss of you. Or not. M2. Or not. M2. Need a little help? Aren't you going to do any work? I'm very busy delegating. Create a personalized savings plan. We can share. You obviously didn't go to business school. And get other tools and tips at feedthepig.org. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. And you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food. We've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food. Because 40% of all food in the US never gets eaten. Save the food. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. You are back with Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. And many thanks to our national sponsor, Pair Networks, P-A-I-R, Pair Network's world-class web hosting and domain registration. And our guest this week is Beth Matty, who is the president of the National Association of School Nurses. And they have a very big day coming up on May 10th. Tell us about it, Beth. Yes, May 10th is National School Nurse Day. And we hope that uh, school children around the country will, and, the, and the outside of the country, we have members overseas as well, but um, we'll thank their school nurse for the for the care that they give to them every day. If you could get an invitation to the White House, and mm-hmm. President Trump uh, brought you into the Oval Office, and he said, Beth, I've got five minutes. Mm-hmm. Tell me the most important things you can tell me in the next five minutes. What would you tell him? that we need to meet the needs of our most vulnerable children. And school nurses on the ground are the boots on the ground in the schools looking at the children. We know we look at the whole child. We understand the risk that they have. We understand their family situation because we get to know families over the years as they're in our school setting. It's not just what you're looking at. There's a whole, there's so much more beneath the surface that impacts this health and well-being and the education of a child so that school nurses are important and need to be in the schools so that we can support students. We are on the front lines of population health. 
Well, I'm going to I'm going to throw you a little curve. We didn't talk about this at all, but I'm going to throw you a little curve to be a little controversial here. Let's talk about concussions. Okay. You have students who participate, particularly at the high school level, in all sorts of sports where getting hit in the head deliberately is part of the sport, like soccer and football in particular. And as we've been seeing, a lot of uh, young young men have been diagnosed after they've died with chronic uh, traumatic encephalopathy. Mm-hmm. And nobody knows for sure, but it could be that that starts in high school. So do you have any thoughts on whether these kinds of sports are really uh, conducive or constructive? And I, I don't want to get you in too much trouble here, but can we just sort of talk academically? Yes. Well, I will say, yes, we are seeing more um, concussions as they're being diagnosed more. Uh, You said they intentionally hit heads. I think that the rules have changed so that they don't hit heads, that they have certain rules with blocking and tackling. And and with soccer, they don't do as many headers as they they used to. Um, And and it just depends on on the child that, you know, every, every, concussion is different some recover quickly some take longer to 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 recover and of course it's something we're very concerned about we don't want children and adolescents to have a a, a chronic condition really is what that would end up being if they do and develop that cte however you know when you think about as well the activity that children get involved in, the after-school uh, after sports that they're involved in, it's really important for their social and emotional development as well. And it's a way to keep them healthy. But the, the sports are evolving so that they don't have as many impact days to avoid the um, increase in concussions that, we're, that we have seen. Well, boy, I wish I, wish I completely believed that. I, it may be that during games that if uh, there's a helmet-on-helmet hit that's outside the rules that a flag will be thrown. It's a little, it's small comfort to the kid that was injured, but it's, uh, there's also hundreds of hours of practice, and these kids are working hard to try and get in the first string, and so they're incentivized to be tough. And I just, uh, I just worry about that, and I also wonder, do you think it makes sense to start uh, baselining every kid before they go into these sports to make sure we know what their baseline situation is so that if we think they've had a concussion, we have something to compare it against. And we are doing that. Um, We are looking at at, um, uh, students as they're going into sports and then doing baseline testing. I wouldn't say that's at all schools, but I know in the Brandywine School District we are doing that with our athletes. And they come in at ninth grade and they get a baseline uh, test to see where they start out so that we have something to compare against. So that is happening. All right. Well, good, good. Now, let's take a moment to get some ideas from you, the, the listeners who are interested in the school nursing program and want to learn more about it and where it's going. What kind of things should they be reading and where can they go for more information? Well, the first thing that we do have a, a website, www.nasn.org, that has a wealth of information that's open to the public. So I hope that you would go there. The next thing is I would say go to your local school and talk to the school nurse at that school. And often when I do talk uh, to, to groups or to stakeholders, I say the first thing parents should be asking is who is meeting the health needs of my child in school so that when they go to the school, who is it? Is it a registered school nurse? That's what the National Association of School Nurses um, says should be in the schools. And often it's not. 
often it, there's either a secretary may be meeting the health needs. It might be a health assistant in the in the office. So that is so important. And once you find out who's meeting the health needs of your children, then ask the school nurse and talk to the school nurse about the needs in your community and what you can do to help and support the school nurse and support your child. Well, we all should do that. In other words, when you go to that parent-teacher meeting, Try and find uh, the, the school nurse and get to know him or her as well. And, Beth, thank you so much. The time really flew. It's been a treat to have you on the show. You're busy with everything you do, and uh, congratulations. Good luck on School Nurse Day, which is on May 10th. And I do encourage everyone to go to the website for the National Association of School Nurses to learn more. We're going to be taking a break here. And, Beth, thank you so much. When I come back after the break, we'll talk a little bit about next week's show. Thank you so much. This is Steve Uh, Larchuk with Health Politics. Thank you, Beth. Delightful. Thank you. This is Mario Andretti. You know me as a race car driver, but I'm also a Meals on Wheels volunteer. I've raced against the sport's biggest personalities, but I've never met more vibrant, amazing people than the seniors served by Meals on Wheels. You can make a difference by dropping off a hot meal and saying a quick hello. So America, let's do lunch. Volunteer your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. What are all the things you witness online in a day? Cats playing piano, selfies on your feed, your friend's picture being turned into a nasty meme that's been shared 50 times, 51, 52. When someone's being bullied online, it's hard to know what to do. Now you can speak up with the witness emoji. It looks like an eye in a speech bubble, and it's in the symbol section near the clocks in your phone. You'll let the world know it isn't cool, and you'll let your friend know you care. Learn more at eyewitnessbullying.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me, but I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Today we decided to walk to school. The light counted. 15, 14. 31, I mean We took a left on Carroll Street. Danny's smart, but he gets distracted. He realized he forgot his homework. I hope he doesn't have another bad day at school. When you can see learning and attention issues from their side, you can be on their side. That's why there's understood.org, a free resource for the parents of the one in five kids with learning and attention issues. Go from misunderstanding to understood.org. Brought to you by Understood and the Ad Council. Adopt U.S. Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. You're bringing your daughter to her favorite pop star's concert. Do you A, wear earplugs? Isn't this fun, Dad? I have a soft pretzel. B, remember the moment with matching concert t-shirts. That's going to be 180 bucks. Or we can just take a photo. C, show her how you used to do concerts. We're going crowd surfing. I can't. It's too heavy. Oh, my God. Or D, just roll with it. Woo, Justin, look at us. We're over here. Justin, Justin, OMG. He just looked, I love you, Justin. 
I love you! When it comes to parenting, there are no perfect answers. But that's okay, because you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit adoptuskids.org slash AL. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Is what it's and welcome back to Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. We have had a very interesting 13th show. It's been fun so far, and every week I, I'm more excited than the last. It has been a pleasure to have as our guest this week Beth Matty, the president of the National Association of School Nurses. It was wonderful uh, to have her tell us about school nursing. It's It's obviously much more than most people think. Many thanks to our national sponsor, Pair Network's world-class web hosting and domain registration. Learn more about them at Pair.com, P-A-I-R.com. Our music is courtesy of Mike Stout. Our producer and booker is Ann McGeary. Engineering and technical support is provided by TUE Media. Please visit us and download our podcasts of these shows at healthcare-politics.com. That's healthcare-politics.com. Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchick is a production of Dare to Be Reasonable Media. Until next week, remember the words of Martin Luther King Jr. Of all forms of injustice, inequality in healthcare is the most shocking and inhumane. Please join us next week. This is Steve Larchick, Healthcare Politics. Bottom line is Medicare for all. Single payer is what it's called. Secret all over this land. A free market monster with invisible hands. Thousands sick and dying because they got no covers. Our neighbors and friends, our sisters and brothers. Employer insurance with millions unemployed and working.